0: hello everybody and welcome to do the franchise with me jake and me james and we are back with a new series james this is the start of i think our fifth series i should have counted before we came in (laughs) five sounds good
1: five sounds excellent we'll go with five it sounds successful doesn't it (laughs) This is our 50th series, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we're 100 years old.
0: Um, this is, uh, yeah, it's a it's a big one. It's We're doing Batman, and doing Batman as a franchise is, I think, A, it's going to be challenging. B, I think it's really exciting because having experienced these films before and having experienced the character for as many years as he's been on screen, it's really cool to go back and look at this as historical document as it is you know like there's so Definitely. much content here isn't there
1: although i do like the idea of us doing batman meaning that we're going out fighting crime on a weekend <laughs> is that not what you're here for i thought that's what we were planning
0: yeah if anyone wants to uh dress up in ridiculous makeup or put a bag over their head and take to the streets now is the time <laughs> absolutely um so yeah i thought i'd say Firstly, James, this is going to be this is kind of you educating me similar to what we did with Harry Potter when I
1: educated you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is sort of like a role reversal um, from what we did with Harry Potter, because I, I think it's fair to say you've obviously you've seen the Batman films. You, you yeah. Sort of yeah. walked around your life blinkered completely. No, it um, wasn't as bad as you and Harry Potter, <laughs> but not necessarily knowing how closely they link to the comics. Would that be fair? Yeah, I would say yeah.
0: I would say on that point I know almost nothing about comic book lore of Batman. Now, I have found out and I have read some and I I kinda did this retrospe- I, retrospectively, I guess. I I i grew up with the films more than I knew of the of the franchise and of the comics, you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, like a lot of people listening to this, I think. Like I went into Batman, I came into Batman knowing uh, the nineties cartoons. Um, with the wonderful Mark Hamill voicing the Joker. Um, who's who voices Batman? I should know this. Uh, Kevin Conroy, that's him. Kevin Conroy, and that's yeah. like that was my Batman, my first introduction to Batman, um, playing with the toys, the sticker books, and all of the books and things that accompanied that that nineties TV series. So that was kind of my first glimpse of what the Dark Knight was. To be honest, um,
1: not the worst intro to the Dark Knight ever. No, so you know that's good. It, it the animated series was just fantastic, and Gotham in that heavily influenced by tim burton's batman
0: yeah because that came before yeah obviously um it's interesting i was i've put in here um there's just so much to talk about firstly i thought i'd explain to the audience we're doing batman 1989 as the first one in the series of our batman films the reason for this was that we've talked about the adam west show me and james discussed the the history of Batman we thought it'd be better to just put the history through the films as opposed to starting with the 1960s movie because it was
1: just hard to find wasn't it and even harder I think to to review I think so and it because it's so very totally different to the rest mm-hmm. of the Batman films we're going to to discuss uh, the, the Burton Batman was kind of the the first sort of introduction of a Batman that the comic book readers would recognize um in terms of their idea of Batman. So uh, there were a lot of uh, darker Batman stories that started being told in the comics in the 80s that didn't have any sort of uh, resemblance to Adam West's campy (laughs) Batman. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, this is is sort of like the first film adaptation that really gives you that grittier Batman. So that's why we went with it. I
0: think it's for this film... um, was Released in 1989, directed by Tim Burton. If you didn't know, um, it was given 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which is pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, 84% Rotten Tomato score. Um, and it's a 15, James. This film is a 15 rated film, it's pretty heavy for a, what I would have perceived even now
1: to have been a film aimed at a child audience, but it isn't, is it? No, no, it really isn't. Um, they doing research for the for the podcast there, there were there was so much controversy when the film was coming out over who it be for whether it'd be worthwhile even making it um I, I know they did a a trailer um they just cut together a really rough trailer to throw in a cinema just as a t- for a test audience really and it got a standing ovation at the That's end impressive. of the trailer so they were they were that nervous about the content of the film and whether it would fly because people were so used to remember Adam West had been TV Batman and movie Batman from yeah. the sixties onwards. So you know that was what people saw in the mainstream media as Batman. It even influenced a lot of the cartoons because obviously when you uh, when you're a big company you you want to be able to sort of diversify and and reach as many people as possible so the people that were adam west batman fans had their adam west style batman comics that they really liked
0: yeah but yeah it's they... like you 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 tell you tend to sort of gravitate towards whatever you like in terms of that niche and if you grew up with a particular this is the thing about batman if you grew up with a particular version of him that's the one that you gravitate towards similar like to james bond of the 60s 70s 80s 90s whichever james bond you grew up with is the one you gravitated towards
1: absolutely you you get a uh a feeling for that character and uh, also a, a lot of the the offshoots of the comics introduced new characters that then got folded back into the comics the the most famous one i guess would be from the animated series we got harley quinn hmm. she wasn't a comic book original character she was designed for the animated series i but didn't she got know that f- yeah she got folded back into comic book <coughs> lore and and became such a prominent character but not for the animated series we wouldn't have harley quinn
0: isn't that funny what a strange yeah. thing i never thought about that i never knew that i thought she was just like the joker's girlfriend all the way through
1: yeah no uh he he's had a, a number of sidekicks um yeah. but yeah harley quinn is now the, the most famous most well-known joker sidekick let's and obviously get she has to her the sorry yeah
0: in terms of the 1989 film we're about to review is bob a decent sidekick in the comics or is he just a movie sidekick
1: he is he is a movie sidekick so um for those of you that haven't seen the film you're referring to the joker's sort of henchman Um, yes yeah interesting fact the actor that plays the joker's henchman is a friend of jack nicholson that's hilarious and, and was hired on jack's recommendation of course he was uh, we're going to talk so... <laughs> a lot about Jacks.
0: We're going to talk a lot about Jack Nicholson I think in this episode.
1: Um Definitely.
0: starts out with the Warner Brothers logo and dissolves into a very dark scary um Danny Elfman sort of score which is amazing. Like Danny Elfman yeah. scored this movie. Uh, it says the movie's music was done by Prince which obviously features heavily in the film as well. Uh this score is unbelievably good. I think I'd forgotten how good it was. To the point in which uh, I've watched the film today and then, whilst I was getting ready um, for the podcast this afternoon and in the kitchen, I just had the theme song, the soundtrack on in the background, and I was just humming along to it in the kitchen whilst doing the
1: pots. And I was every like, time oh, you got a different pot, it's I'm Batman.
0: It's just so good, isn't it? It's such a yeah. pumpy, racing, brilliant ah, oh, just I, just an amazing
1: classic score that makes you want to get up and run around. Yeah, so so good. They uh, they nicked it for the Justice League film.
0: Yes, they did. Yeah, I remember yeah. hearing about this. This is quite the scandal. I can't remember the bit it's in. I have seen
1: that film, but I can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably for the best. But yeah, so we, we're, we're in Gotham, and Gotham looks gothic, doesn't it? It is. It's got that, like, it's almost got
0: a Victorian architecture laid onto a New York cityscape with map paintings in the background to give it extra depth. It's a strange shot isn't it like when you first see it the establishing shots look like something from the movie metropolis yeah and then when you get into the city and you're in the streets you can tell that the the street level stuff is all a backlot or a studio shoot and then on top of that you've got the map paintings which give the depth um of all the skyscrapers in the background and the tracks above the city and all that kind of jazz it's it's very interesting
1: it's a really unique look isn't it like i know most of the more recent Batman franchise type films have set the uh, set Gotham in a uh, a city more like New York they usually use Chicago um, yeah they do yeah uh, so yeah so but this is this is very different it's very uh, and uh, again something that got folded back into the comics this design of, of Gotham became more popular at, D- at DC following this film yeah,
0: is this a Tim Burton thing? The design of the city.
1: It's a it, yeah, it's a very Tim Burton thing. Uh, it's um, I don't think he obviously did the designing himself, but he came came up with a lot of the concepts. That's um, interesting. He he came to the team with ideas as, as to what he wanted it to to look like. I mean it's okay. a very
0: much it's very much a, it's a character itself isn't it Gotham within the realms of the Batman movies and and weaved throughout all the Batman films TV shows cartoons etc like there it's it's always a character in itself and depending on what Gotham you've got will kind of depend on what
1: kind of theme you're going for if that makes sense yeah definitely because this is the kind of Gotham where you can imagine the kind of Batman we get it actually mm. existing like if you took uh, the Tim Burton Batman character and put him in The Dark Knight, yeah, it, it just wouldn't work. In fact, they make they make clear that that wouldn't work. When you know, in in The Dark Knight, he makes comments about not being able to turn easily enough to fight people and stuff like that because his mm. cowl's too uh, not allowing him uh, easy movement. So, but in this Gotham, this Batman works. You know, yeah. this is a, a a you know a legit sort of um expression of batman for this kind of gotham it's cool yeah it is
0: they they start with um we follow a family through the city of gotham and we are kind of led to assume that it's bruce wayne and his mum and dad um which is the classic origin story of batman but it's not. It's like a red herring. And then it turns out that they're just yeah. like a random family. And Batman, uh, he's got this like cool shot where his shadow is on the rooftop and he walks off and you see the shadow sort of disappear from the rooftop. Um, and then we get Christopher Fairbank, who is an actor uh, most commonly known uh, as Moxie from A Vida simpet, the classic British comedy drama. <laughs> he is, he's the crook on the roof, James.
1: <laughs> yes, he is. There's so many and, uh, cool the, little, uh, little 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 yeah. actors that became bigger actors. It's great.
0: Christopher Fairbanks in Alien. I think he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, obviously, he's in a Vita Sempre. But uh, really funny that he's just the crook on the roof who gets hung off the roof by by Batman. Um, and yeah, and then we, it kind of that's it. We start with him almost threatening the criminal and saying, "Tell the world about me. I want everyone to know about me." And yeah. then we find out that. Um, there's things going on in the city, crime, This this 200-year anniversary festival, which the mayor just doesn't shut up about throughout the entire film. And it started to get on my nerves. So I'm thinking, you've got organised criminals, you've got a man as a joker Matt, running around, you've got guns, you've got a man in a bat suit, uh, you've got a chemical plant that's about to blow up, and you're worried about the
1: 200-year festival. What a dick. It's, it's 200 years, Jake. That's nearly as many episodes as we've done. <laughs> it is i know it feels like it isn't it so it's important it's important and the um uh, did you notice something weird about this film when you've compared it to like other batman films uh, specifically i'm talking about um gordon
0: yeah um i have written this he's not really in it um no gordon is in it he's sat on the on the desk and he sat where bruce wayne's supposed to be sat and then uh, Harvey Dent is there, played by the wonderful Billy D. Williams. Uh, yes. But again, Dent is just introduced as a new DA, but he doesn't really do anything in the film. Gordon no. doesn't do anything. The mayor doesn't do anything. They don't really have any point of being in the movie. I'd almost go to the same extent to say that Alfred doesn't have anything to do in the film, really, of any substance. Yeah. He's just in it.
1: Yeah, so this is, that. The, in some ways, like... Tim Burton wasn't a huge, as far as I know, well, at the time, wasn't a massive um, sort of comic nerd. He liked Batman. He'd read it. Uh, he had a few of like the key comics that he had in mind when he was making the film. So, for a lot of Batman fans, obviously, his relationship with Gordon is really key. Um, it's not really in this film that much. It's not really discussed. They um, they. Uh, I, I, they do focus on a different police officer though a lot don't they they focus on this guy max Eckhart
0: yeah he's the the fat guy with a cigar who um he's he's a dirty cop and he's uh passing money to the uh Grissom uh gang who yeah. is led by Jack Napier who is also another character who we'll talk about in a minute but yeah I I was confused with a lot of this like going back and visiting it um so, Jack Nicholson, as me and James have made reference to many times in the podcast, ha- always has to be play a character called Jack, which I find really strange. <laughs> like...
1: It's important to him. It's important to him. Why is
0: he always called Jack? <laughs> maybe, it's... maybe it's just easier.
1: I mean, he apparently, again, in doing my research, don't know how true this is, but he apparently had yeah. it written into his contract, that he would always start on set later than everybody else because he liked to go out after filming, eating, drinking, partying. Right. So, he... Uh, so Michael Keaton would come in really early and then you'd get uh, Jack Nicholson apparently turning up around 10 in the morning and he would just sit in a chair and fall asleep while his prosthetics were applied to his face Uh, so so maybe being called Jack was just part of his acting and it was just easier if everyone called him Jack he wouldn't have to remember that bit
0: shall we address this now while we're going through so Jack Nicholson is in this movie Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> just leave. Well, it at Well that. addressed, Jake. <laughs> uh, I don't Jack think we Nich- need to do a spoiler alert for that. It's on the poster. <laughs> it's like next. <laughs> uh,
0: no, Jack Nicholson's in this movie, and he is the top billing. He is named in the in the title sequence before Michael Keaton, who is Batman. So yeah. that was strange, and I read a lot about this uh, doing research for this episode. That that was a contractual thing that he that he wanted. Um, apparently, they had. Um, approached Jack Nicholson about the role a couple of times and he had just palmed it off. Warner Brothers then offered the role to Robin Williams and yes. he accepted the role and producers were like, yeah, we've got Robin Williams, it's going to be amazing. Uh, they then went behind his back and went back to Jack Nicholson and asked Jack Nicholson, they said to Jack Nicholson, well, we've got Robin Williams and he said he'll take the part uh, and basically kind of baited him. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And then Nicholson said, well, I don't, I think I could do it better than him, so I'll do it. And then they sacked Williams and and gave it back to Jack Nicholson. And then Jack Nicholson said he wanted top billing. Um, Like you say, he wanted... There was a lucrative deal, which involved, I think, a lot of the profits of the movie, including merchandising rights. So that basically uh, Nicholson would make more money than everyone else. Um, Uh, And then, like you said just then, he showed up late to set every day. So basically, this performance he does is amazing, but... He was a bit of a dick.
1: <laughs> he was, but to his credit, after he filmed, apparently he loved his performance so much that after the film was out, he used to watch it once a week. He That's liked strange. his performance that much. He he, he watched it <laughs> once a week. So he's such an interesting character as Jack Nicholson. He's a narcissist, the, isn't he? Classic yeah. narcissist. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, he plays Jack Napier, um, who is... Uh, that is a uh, film creation as well. That's not comic right. law. I was going so, to ask you this. So Jack Napier doesn't exist in the in the comics, and he didn't kill the uh, the Waynes. He didn't kill Bruce's parents.
0: Right. So they just made all that up for the movie.
1: It yeah. So it it it's one of these things where it's just a nice sort of uh, conceit to to the film. It means that you know uh, they they say in the film that they each created one another. Mm. Uh, so i think they liked that idea but that's not uh that's not uh true to a comic book Um his origin is kind of linked to uh a comic book though so the there's a it's quite a famous comic book because it was recently made into an animated film and it's one that a lot of people cite as like their favorite batman comic it's the killing joke oh yes i've heard of this and it Uh, In that, uh, they do give a Joker origin because there aren't that many uh, properties that give Joker a proper origin. So you've got, obviously, Batman 1989 where they discuss his origin and you've got the recent uh, film, The Joker, where he's given an origin. (coughs) Yeah, with Raccoon Phoenix. And The Killing Joke is somewhere in between the two. so so uh, interesting. The the Killing Joke, uh, Joker is uh, a down-on-his-look comedian before he becomes The Joker. He uh, gets approached by the mob and becomes sort of like an unwilling participant in a uh, robbery at a factory. And that's how he falls into the vat of acid. So he
0: does fall into a vat of acid then. That is, that's, that's accurate. I was going to ask you that as well.
1: Yeah. So that's accurate. So, um, but obviously in this, in this interpretation, he's a very willing member of the mob. In fact yeah. he's like second in command in, in the film yeah. of the mob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the um, guy he's
0: like the ringleader, isn't he?
1: Yeah. So you've got um the mob controlled by Carl Grissom, who yep. is a film creation. He's cool, yeah. Heavily inspired by Carmine Falcone, who mm. is comic book accurate and they use Falcone in the Dark Knight films. Yes. I remember so, this. We'll talk uh, about that later. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh Max Eckhart is a film creation. Uh he's heavily inspired though. He looks almost identical to the character Harvey Bullock, who if anyone's watched the series Gotham, Harvey Bullock. Yes, Bullock's I've seen the, that. yeah. The older cop who's sort of on the payroll of the mob, sort of more uh a lovable rogue than uh Max Eckhart is.
0: Yeah, he's he's the Gordon's partner, isn't he, in
1: um yeah. in Gotham so, the series. It's so weird because Max Eckhart and Harvey Bullock look character-wise look identical. They 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 could have just used Harvey Bullock, but I think they wanted someone who was a bit more, in, in embedded in in that mob world. So they didn't want to use, uh, Harvey Bullock. And then you've got Bob Hawkins, who's, uh, Jack's right hand man. My uh, favorite character, you mean? <laughs> Jake's favorite character. Also, a a film creation doesn't exist in the comics.
0: Right, we're going to go through this as we as we as we do. Um, we then get introduced to um, Knox, who is a reporter. Um, he's a really nerdy, optimistic character who's in this really yeah. awful film noir city full of crim- criminals. Um, I don't get him, but I I, get, I understand his purpose for being. Um, he kind of plays. It, what in the in the Daredevil series and in the Daredevil film there is a character who works for the newspaper whose name escapes me. He is the same character who is like following the cops around trying to bait them for Daredevil information. Um, yeah, and and obviously he works for like a, a shitty newspaper and wants to get the story out, but the police keep covering it up. And that's kind of what Knox is doing with Batman. He's kind of saying, you know, uh, there is a man out there. Uh, is he on the police payroll? How much money does he pull? And I thought that was quite funny. Not to disappoint you, also a film creation. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> I also so, yeah. really I also really enjoyed that when he goes back to the office as a cartoonist who hands knocks a picture of a bat. Um that is also a British actor. That is Cassandra's dad from Only Fools and Horses.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. And that that was meant to be a Bob Kane cameo in the same way that Stan Lee cameos in Marvel films. That was right. apparently going to be Bob Kane, the guy that created Batman. He was going to hand that picture. It is actually a picture signed by Bob Kane. I was going to say, but,
0: you can see his name on it, can't you? Yeah. yeah.
1: So, But it was originally, I think he fell ill during the filming, but he was going to cameo. So it would have been like a cameo before Stan Lee cameoed. That's brilliant. But, but it never happened. So, yeah. So uh, Knox is, is as you say, is that, that character that kind of acts as the audience, like... He yeah. sees, uh, it, uh, initially, he sees what we see and, you know, he's questioning whether the Batman is real, whether, it you know, what does the Batman look like? Um, so, yeah, he, he's a really good use of a character and he's how we get to meet Vicky Vale.
0: Yeah, Vicky Vale is a very beautiful um, supermodel, um, Kim Bassinger Yes. But she's also a nerd. She's also a photographer. She's also really complicated and uh, she's also interested in bats. yeah. Um, it's a lot of exposition dump, and I feel this is it, This is a product of the nineteen eighties. I don't even want to slag off the film industry because there's a load of really good female characters that came out of the eighties. We've got Sarah Connor, uh, we've got uh, Ripley from Alien, like yep. this, and to then she is just kind of there, like she's just there, James. She's it, not she really is. doing
1: anything. Uh, comic book accurate though. Uh, mostly, okay i didn't know that mostly yeah she's a comic character Um the main difference and this might change your mind a little bit on how they deal with it. i don't know but in the comics she never figures out or never quite works out who bruce is whereas she does in the film so it they give her, tells her yeah, yeah they, they they do allow her to to find that out so and uh, so I guess it, she's given some a little more agency in the film than they give her in the comics. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. You know, she's she's able to do that. But yeah, she's um yes, yeah, she, it it is sort of typical kind of action hero woman sidekick fair unfortunately yeah, it's, it's, it's male it's male gaze yeah. it's the male gaze yeah um she is there purely for
0: the sex appeal and the fact that if you have because in the 80s kim bassinger was a very big name so to have her on the roster um with the likes of keaton with the likes of jack nicholson uh it just it's an audience draw isn't it you think oh like Daniel Craig is in a James Bond film, there is an obligatory yeah. topless shot. It's almost like people would flock to the cinema to hopefully see Kim Basinger in her in her underwear, but you don't in this film, sadly, you know. But uh, <laughs> then it's like, it's such a weird thing, but she is mixed up in the plot through the um, Knox character introducing her to Bruce Wayne. And then I can't quite remember how Joker gets interested in her, but I think he sees her somewhere and then kind of stalks her, if you will, for a bit, didn't yes. he? And then and then yeah. yeah. And then there's the uh there's some really good bits actually with Joker and, and, and the Vicky Vale character. I really like that. Uh, I put in here it's pretty cool seeing Jack Nicholson in the purple suit pre-Joker when he's in the office with Grissom. Um I really like that. And then yeah we get like a scene that sets up the grissom um and grissom's wife and and jack's character in a love triangle which is kind of paid off but not really uh then we get michael keaton finally introduces
1: bruce wayne some like 20 minutes into the film yeah <laughs> now this is because uh, obviously we we talked about you know actors being a real draw um and everyone up to this point except michael keaton was probably considered a a, a draw for the film because yeah. when Michael Keaton was cast, um, there was a bit of uproar. People oh, really? Weren't, yeah, people weren't that much of a fan of him uh, being Batman. In fact, to the point where there was 50,000 letters of protest written into the uh, studio.
0: He's a bit so, small for Batman. I guess that's the only caveat. Like, if I yes. had to look at... I mean, obviously, now, I love Keaton's Batman because it was the one I grew up with. But um going to looking at that from a like you say from a from a fanboy's perspective he doesn't have anything of him that looks like a batman no and i mean lo-
1: this the script uh describes the character as having muscles on muscles, which yeah definitely isn 't keaton and uh i <laughs> reading up on this uh there was there was a great bit apparently someone at some point asked Sylvester Stallone what his opinion was on the whole matter. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, he, and he was really upset about it. He said it was the end of the action hero movie, as he knew it. If you could just put rubber muscles on, why bother working out like he did all those hours? So he was you know, he was really upset that he would put all this effort into becoming this massive, muscular action hero. Yeah. And Michael Keaton came in on the heels of being Beetlejuice. And... I can see it
0: from both sides, but ultimately, yeah. like other than there's not many actors that have got the muscles and the acting potential um now like nowadays with what we're going to talk about in the later episodes with like the dark knight trilogy you do have actors that put great amounts of dedication into a role to look and play and be the part you know Uh, and we'll talk about christian bale i'm sure but like now Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone wouldn't have been Batman. Doesn't matter how you dress it up, that would not have worked. No. It would have been terrible, and that's why their films just don't have the acting caliber that these films need to carry, you know, to carry that character. And ultimately, when you play Batman, no matter who it is playing Batman, you're playing three characters. Um yes. you're you're playing Batman. <laughs> yeah. You're you're playing Bruce Wayne. As the 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 humble and broken and saddened, um, you know the, cha- the, the the man that's lost his parents, the man that dwells yeah. in his in his bat cave, who wants to rid the world of evil, and then you play Bruce Wayne, the playboy, who is on the surface of things a a an idiot, and he bumbles around and he makes yeah. crude advances and women, and he plays a James Bond kind of character, but that's not who he is. No,
1: like, that's just
0: I... that's just the Bruce Wayne.
1: Front that he plays on, which again you have to have all three of them to be Batman. And as a whole, I think Keaton's Batman is my favorite because he hits those three parts so well. Mm. Like I, I, I think there are Batmen in future films <laughs> that that don't that don't uh, quite do that. Like they they they're probably really good at one or two parts, but I think uh, like in terms of. You know, his complexity, Keaton, it really does knock it out of the park. Totally, I mean, there's, yeah. There's different, different sides to Bruce. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've sort of lost a little track of where we are, but we've met Sorry. Bruce. No, that's cool. We've met Bruce. He's got um, a proper perm going on as well. He has. It's, um, did you notice a sort of inspiration from a certain CEO of a company that we might know? No, do go um, on. I I don't know if this was like a genuine effort, but I definitely remember reading at some point that it was very, you know, the fact that he wears very similar tops when he's in more casual wear to Steve Jobs. Oh, the black
0: turtleneck. You're yeah. talking about the black
1: turtlenecks and the jeans that he wears. That's yeah. interesting. Well, I guess
0: he kind of plays a young billionaire, which I yeah. guess Steve Jobs kind of was then, wasn't he? In
1: yeah, the eighties. So I think that that was a, a, an influence on this film as well. So um, he's very sort of, the, the way he plays Bruce, because uh, they're, they're at a party, aren't they? And they're just walking yeah. around Bruce's house. I love the fact that he's almost as surprised at the things he owns as everybody else is. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. He knows everything I, I, about yeah. them. <laughs> I, really li- I really
0: enjoyed the bit where he's looking at all the things in the room, like he doesn't know that they're there, but he bought them in Japan and all this. And there's a similar bit when he's with Vicky in the dining room and um, she says, uh, how often do you eat in here? And he just looks around and goes, if I'm honest with you, I don't think I've ever been in this room. <laughs> just That's thought, my favorite scene like, in the film. I love yeah, that bit. It's, it's hitting a sarcastic beat in a way that only Keaton can do. And that's why I love his Bruce Wayne. I think his Bruce Wayne is probably yeah, my favourite of all the Bruce Waynes I've ever seen. And we'll talk about all the others as we go through this, I'm sure. Uh, you get Alfred, played by the wonderful Michael Goff. Um, he is the longest-serving Alfred, is he not, I think, in, in the film yeah. franchises? Um, he's in I all think four of the films that we're going to review as of this one.
1: Yes, he is. He's, um, he's one of the only actors that is in all four as well. Yeah, um, I think
0: him and Gordon are in all four, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's great, though. He's a he's a he brilliant is. Alfred. The, his comedy timing is really, really good in this film yes. as well. Yeah. Uh, we then get the Axis chemical plant bit. Uh, again, it's kind of the, the classic, what I would now call the classic comic book creation scene, where we have to have a bad guy and a good guy interact. There has to be an action sequence of some sort, and then... Um, jack falls into the vat of acid does he get shot through the cheeks i, I couldn't figure out what that was when the bullet ricochets off the thing get, someone shoots at joker yeah and then he kind of goes ah and then falls into the vat so does he get something through his mouth
1: yeah he's sort of graced by a bullet i think
0: and that's why uh, he has to have his mouth reconstructed i suppose right yes that correct
1: right? yeah that's right so he uh after he goes into the vat of acid he crawls out and goes to see a, a very reputable doctor. <laughs>
0: I love that scene. I think that scene is my favourite um, and most Tim Burton scene in the whole film. When he takes the mirror off the thing and takes all the bandages off, uh, and you can see hint of the green hair. And yeah. then he smashes the mirror and smashes the light bulb as he like runs out and he's screaming and laughing at the same time. And I just think, oh, it's a such brilliant. a such a wonderfully acted moment, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's great. I, I love... Um, I think it was what, a scene like that one or just the whole film in general, but I remember reading interviews with Mark Hamill before he auditioned for the Joker um, hmm. where he was mentioning uh, that people were saying, oh, you'll be... Yo, it'll be a great job, but you'll probably be compared to Jack Nicholson's Joker a lot. And uh, it was that it, he tried then coming up with his own unique version of the laugh so he wouldn't get compared to... Uh, yeah. jack nicholson so much so yeah but it is it's a fantastic joker moment it's brilliant he's an interesting character as well because he has
0: again he has got as much if not more uh fan love than batman himself um yeah like without him batman is not interesting i, you know, I don't i mean that in the way of he is like the polar opposite isn't he and he works so well as a character yeah. and and again, he'll, he's that character that keeps popping up in pop culture. How many have we had now? We must have been like, we've had him, we've had Jack Nicholson, we've had the earlier one, obviously, that was the Adam West Joker. Yeah. Um, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto, uh, Aquin Phoenix, Mark Hamill played the the cartoon one. Uh, and again, it was a great a great performance, a voice performance. It's just been so many of them, but they all kind of work in their own way, don't they?
1: Yeah. he He's the, the ultimate foil to Batman because where... Bruce has those two two sides to himself. You know, He has a, a serious side and a jokey playboy side. Uh, mm. Batman just has that serious broody side. And there's not much you can do. It's a bit like how they struggle in a way to make good Hulk movies because Hulk's just a, yeah. a, a broody angry man. Uh, so if it was just broody angry man all the time, it's more difficult to make a movie. So if you have that interest that you know that almost like batman is the is the straight uh comedian versus the hilar- hilarious slapstick comic yeah. of of the joker you have that that dual sort of purpose um of those characters that's why i think it works so well uh, that's why you need the joker uh to to make batman work he needs uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why batman's usually credited as having one of the best rogues galleries yeah, uh, in comics because he needs them to work like spider-man's quippy and hilarious
0: yeah Batman, but he needs not those. so much yeah no you're right yeah i mean spider-man's road gallery is pretty good as well but not as good as batman's and there isn't really any superhero that we can speak of where even a layman like me could name four or five off the top of their head yeah of batman's most famous adversaries and i guess all of his adversaries work really well on their own with their own you know their own stick against batman Do you know what i mean like you don't necessarily need the joker but having the joker or the riddler or the penguin or, or any of those characters they all work really well on their own one-on-one with batman because of yeah. you know, the nature of their of their characters uh, then we get uh the, the amazing scene with joker and grissom where it's beautifully lit, it's really dark, and he's like stood in the doorway with a hat and, and a trench coat on. And you can just see the makeup if you look really closely at, at Jack Nicholson's face in the shadow. Because he's so white, the face. Yeah. It kind of shines through the dark a little bit. And then as it as that scene progresses, Jack's voice breaks and it becomes the Joker voice and the personality changes and he becomes the eccentric version of himself. And I love that. I like how
1: that how he plays that scene, I thought it was absolutely amazing. It's great. It's like, it's like true mania is sort mm. of descending. He, he, you know, he stops being sort of, I guess, angry and sorry for himself. Like he probably was as Jack. Like yeah. he want you know, he wanted more out of life. He wants to be the mob boss. He stops desiring that. And he just wants the, the fun, the mania to take over. And he, like you say, you can hear it in his voice changing. And yeah. Yeah when he says I'm a lot happier and then he just
0: starts killing Grissom and then he just after that like his whole persona changes as a character and I think like it's subtle it's really subtle but it's done in such a way that only Jack Nicholson or someone of the the stature of Jack Nicholson could pull that off because again we say that Bruce is is, you know we're saying that Michael's playing three characters um Nicholson's playing two characters he plays the Grissom uh, sorry he plays the Napier character then he's playing the Joker character later on yeah um It takes about 40 minutes to get Joker into the film,
1: which I thought was really ambitious for a film like this. Yeah, it does a lot of world building. Yeah, a hell of a lot. I mean, I don't think at this point, because everyone was so nervous about the film, I honestly don't think they were building it for a sequel. You reckon? I I think so. To take that amount of time to do that world building for what could have just been a film on its own.
0: I think that's yeah. really
1: brave. That's really uh, sort of intentional filmmaking. Because, um, mm. yeah, I, I, I don't think until this film was successful there was even thought of it being a, you know, a franchise. I think it was going to be, yeah. let's see if, if we can do this. I mean, to the point where um, I think initially uh, it was gonna, they wanted to give the film to Richard Donner because he'd done the last successful mm. superhero film with Superman. So they wanted yeah. initially to give it to Richard Donner, who, weirdly, was going to cast Mel Gibson as Bruce. <laughs> that would have been strange. I'm really curious, though. Not, yeah. not you. I, I, like, I, think I, it, I could get on board with that. Even, even when Tim Burton was on board, Mel Gibson apparently was still in the running, um, but had to pull out because he was doing Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, no, Lethal Weapon 2 at the time. So he had prior commitments. What could have been, eh? What could have been? Uh,
0: (laughs) We then we then get a scene where Joker electrocutes a gangster with a handshake, which I thought was wonderful. Um, Yes, and, and it's one of those bits where, for me, you have to define the rules of your world, and because the world they've built is quite eccentric and it's got chemical vats and it's got batarangs and it's it's silly and it's kind of campy but but it's noir and it's dark the idea that he murders somebody which is a very evil cruel and dark thing through the medium of the electrocuting handshake yes um, it's do you know what i mean by this it's like the perfect blending of the two concepts of going he's a maniac and he's dangerous but he's also ridiculously funny
1: yeah i, absolutely. I thought that was I, I great think, i think it is, it's like it plays into his uh charisma and his uh, Let you say that it is a comic film, a comic book film, so things are going to be weird and wonderful and, yeah. uh, and they don't always have to be gritty and realistic uh, and yeah. can be gritty and weird and we- <laughs> you can end up electrocuting someone with a handshaking toy. <laughs> And then the fantastic. guy just ends up like a skeleton on the chair.
0: And then yeah. he turns around and says, uh, Anton got a bit hot under the collar. <laughs> and I just couldn't stop laughing. And my missus was looking at me because I had my headphones in. And I was proper giggling to myself. And she's like, what are you laughing at? I was like, it's just <laughs> such a good film. But just
1: so weird. It's so bizarre. But it's such a good movie. It, um, yeah, it is. It, it's it's definitely... It, it was the right vehicle for all the actors involved. Yeah. And it just
0: works on its own so well at this film. Like you take this movie out of context out of a, like you say, out of a franchise and just enjoy it for what it is. It's a cracking film. Um, then there's the mime scene outside city hall. Didn't really understand this, but I think it was just a way of kind of getting Bruce and the to cross paths for the first time without him in the Batsuit. Um yes. Cause he's already met Napier in the Batsuit and he's met the Joker as Bruce and then he meets the joker as batman so it kind of like it felt like the three act structure do you know what i mean where they had to do it in the three acts to make it work and then he kills a man with a pen uh and then uh he drives off in a car but he doesn't really do anything else he just then he starts polluting the makeup which i didn't really understand uh so i I was going to ask you
1: about this because i didn't really get what that was about is this a comic book thing why is he polluting makeup yeah, so this is a, the the um, just for clarity. The guy he kills, I think, is one of the other members of the uh, mob, uh, and they were making claims on, you know, running, uh, r- being left in charge basically. So he was getting rid of competition. But he right. goes to uh, to the the makeup. Um, this does happen in in the comics in various ways. Joker's always had uh, in various different guises. He's had like laughing gas. That kills people through laughter. Right, that's and, funny. That works, and yeah. That's sort of what you get here. Initially he's putting it in cosmetics. So that's why you, you start to see all these news reporters keeling over, giggling at one another. And it, yeah, and then it, and then they stop using the makeup and they start getting spotty, don't they? Yeah. And they um <laughs> and basically when they die they're they're left with like this permanent grin on their face. <laughs> and it, it that's definitely uh, inspired by what he what he does in the comics a lot. Um, the uh, f- comic books he gets that from. It's I don't think it's done in the Killing Joke. It's definitely done in um the um Batman uh, Dark Knight Returns comics. Right. It's very uh, strange though. Yeah, it is. It's 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 really strange. I mean, it's it's stranger in the comics because uh, I think if it is. Based on uh, what happens in, uh, I think it's Frank Miller uh, does Dark Knight Returns. His comics uh, are set in a future where Batman's basically retired, but gets brought out of retirement, which then breaks Joker out of his coma that he's in. He's in like a kind of a a coma, and he realizes Batman's back and comes out of his coma, and one of the evil sort of tools, devices he has uh, are a pair of. Uh, sentient dolls that can um, release the the uh, gas that do, that does the same thing. It makes people keel over laughing and die. So it is probably from that um, that storyline that you get that um, that you get that gas uh where it yeah, issues yeah, cosmetics yeah. but it becomes gas at the fair doesn't it at the, yeah uh, it does it's a green gas and he uses it he uses it at the art gallery as well doesn't he
0: when uh he comes in with the prince soundtrack on
1: yes yeah uh prince soundtrack kind of controversial uh Go on. Apparent, apparently tim burton hated the idea what really i thought that was an entirely tim burton thing no he, he he was all for danny elfman doing it but didn't oh, think yeah. that the prince stuff worked i was like no it's I, personally, I love it. <laughs> I'm a big Prince fan, though, but I love his, I I love Prince as well, so yeah.
0: I was kind of fine with it, but I understand that, like, it happens a couple of times, and it could take you out of the movie a little bit, like, but I think that of any contemporary soundtrack, yeah. the problem with a contemporary soundtrack is it always dates a movie. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I remember Lucas talking about this years ago in saying that the only way to do Star Wars was to do a classical... Um, you know, really uh, classic, loud and flamboyant opera soundtrack, because if it was sci-fi-ish, or if it had lasers and David Bowie-esque music in it, it would have dated Star Wars. But if it was just a classical soundtrack with classical strings and classical drums, it works, it's fine, it'll never ever get old. And that is true, isn't it? Like, anything that's got a classical soundtrack, like whether it be Harry Potter or Star Wars, Indiana Jones, those films stay in time forever, and they don't Feel dated.
1: They could be of any time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. They, they. Um, it, it's like when you see sometimes black and white films that aren't. You know, they don't age because if they don't include like cars of the time, it could be any, any time. Yeah, yeah. That, that. Um, but you're not going to tell me that "Bat Dance" isn't an all time classic song. So <laughs> what it's called? Yeah. what well, <laughs> It's Bat Dance. It's one of Prince's songs from the uh, the soundtrack. Uh, you can stream it on various streaming platforms if you want to listen to it. I will but be it... doing
0: it. I'll be doing that later. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
0: um, Bat Dance. It's a Brilliant, good, good song. Um, um, Batman then rescues Vicky from the Joker. Uh, they escape in the classic Batmobile chase yes. sequence. Um, there's a cool bit where he puts the. Um, the gun in Bajoka's face and then it kind of goes to the sides, which I thought was really, really campy, but I really
1: enjoyed it. It, Um, That is like a throwback to kind of like the Adam West uh, gadgets and things like that. And uh, I love, as he's escaping, uh, my, one of my favourite Jack Nicholson lines in the in the film is oh, where does he find those wonderful toys I just, <laughs> <Yeah>. I just <laughs> love the way he delivers it because you can tell he loves the toys he's just really annoyed that Batman's getting in his way but he loves the gadgets
0: I'm going to say this now while I've got it in my head but there's a bit later where Batman flies in on the Batwing is it Batwing? Yep. Uh and takes the balloons that are that are spreading the poison gas over Gotham and flies them away into like the stratosphere. And he just then of looks up disappointed and goes, Those were my balloons. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was really good. Uh, so good. Um, it's, it's a really quotable film. <laughs> it is. It really is. We get to see the proper Batcave, uh, when Bruce takes Vicky Vale to the Batcave. Uh there's a great sequence with the Batmobile. Um which again we'll talk about it later but it very much mimics that batmobile chase from batman begins which was put in the batman begins movie in 2005 where he's trying to get the character to the Batcave cave before she dies uh, yeah. and in this one it's just trying to get vicky away from the joker or whatever and save her and he and he does like the drive through the city escaping the cops and he drives to the to, to way manor and then goes through like a trick door into into a tunnel and you think he's going to hit something and he just goes straight into the tunnel and it's like ah, oh, that's cool um and yeah and the soundtrack there just carries the film it's just so epic it's so loud and beautiful um and yeah and it's kind of feels like he has to tell every woman that he meets in these films that he's batman and we'll sort of talk about this as we go on through the franchise but it does seem kind of like force that he needs feels this need to tell vicky who he is even though he doesn't need to <laughs> it's not important yeah. to the plot uh he just wants to get it off his chest um then we find out that Napier killed Batman's parents. You told me that this isn't true anyway, this was just made up for the film. But that allows a little flashback sequence to the monarch theatre, um, where Batman uh, where his parents, where Bruce's parents are killed. And it's and it's Jack Napier says that Devil Moonlight line, doesn't he, to him? Yeah. If you have dance for the devil and the moonlight or whatever? And then and then
1: he like tries to kill Bruce but doesn't kill Bruce. He stops and he runs off. I love the the fact that obviously because this is something that's made up for the film, they can have a bit of fun with it because like it's something that's had such meaning for Bruce because he remembers it, and then he, he asks Joker or Jack, "Why why did you say that?" He's like, "I just thought it sounded good." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it's, that. It's, yeah, it's just yeah, it like, says it's what... nothing serious.
0: It's I just thought it sounded all right. Yeah, what did you say that line for? And he says, "I just like the way it sounds," and. <laughs> It's that bit where, ah, um, oh, what is it now? It's, it's it's in Pulp Fiction, isn't it? Where Samuel L. Jackson does the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen thing to all his prey, the people he yeah. murders. And then in the end of the movie, in the end of Pulp Fiction, he says to Tim Roth, he, re- he says the line to Tim Roth and then says... That used to be some cool shit I used to say before I used to kill a guy. <laughs> I never really understood what it meant until now. <laughs> it's like <laughs> like an inner monologue of a line that you thought was really cool, but it actually has no significance to anything. You just thought it sounded good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so good, so such such cool writing. I love that. There's a bit as well now where where they go to the um, the festival where Joker's giving away the money, and then Batman steals the balloons. And then he flies down to him in a kind of hit me, hit me moment, which we'll yeah. talk about in another film. And the Joker pulls out a massive pistol out of his trousers, <laughs> yes. which, again, I just thought was really funny. And I, I found myself giggling in my, in my living room um, and then tries to shoot. He, I think he does. He shoots the Batwing wing down, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, because you go from what's very obviously a CGI or model plane to a model Gotham Street. Where the Batwing smashes through all the cars and, and lands at the bottom of the church. Um I mean it it was the eighties. They couldn't they didn't have a great budget. It was fine. It looks fine.
1: Yeah. Tim Burton works. loves physical effects, doesn't he? He loves real effects. He doesn't like CGI. Yeah, I think it's it suits the aesthetic of the film, doesn't it? Yeah, the models. Yeah. Like it's sort of like if you if you look at the jump between the the series of red dwarf where they just used models and then as it's as they got a bigger budget they used cgi yeah. it lost some of its charm and this yeah. i think has charm it just oozes charm they did a fact, similar thing when they uh, ardman handed over the reins of doing
0: plasticine models um with their stop motion with Wallace and Gromit and they started they did one called flushed away Where it's all CGI and the characters look aesthetically the same as the Wallace and Gromit characters, but they are all computer generated. And it, like you said, it kind of everyone went, What? It's not, it's not clay, it's not models. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And And
0: even though it's a perfectly good story, you feel cheated by the fact that they're not. Wallace and Gromit-style uh, plasticine models. It's strange, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's weird. And it's something that you have... It's like a physical, emotional reaction to rather than, you know, it's nothing... I don't think it's that academic, is it? It's not something you look at and study. It's just something you feel. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I
0: think anything tangible uh, you can always get on board with. This is the same reason why I didn't like... The, the the further Jurassic Park films we we talked about and the Jurassic World films yeah. because I felt their dinosaurs were so CGI that I, it took me out of the movie. I wasn't interested. Whereas when I saw it was a T-Rex head that looked completely real and it was tangible and it was nudging its head against the Jeep in Jurassic Park. It, yes. It's terrifying because that thing is really there. <laughs> absolutely and i think that's why you
1: that's why you enjoyed the giant pistol so much it's really that i did it's such a good giant (laughs) pistol
0: um then they go up the clock tower and danny Elfman's score kind of um builds and builds and builds and builds through the clock tower sequence and um there's a great bit when they get to the top of the clock tower the organ kicks in as well do you notice that Yes. And I thought that was really powerful and it really works. It really sets the tone of the um, suspense where Batman is going up the tower and Joker is trying to stop him from getting to the top. And then when he gets to the top, he, he let the bell goes down, doesn't it? Down the chimney. Yeah. Uh, down the bell Do you remember tower.
1: how he gets, how he loosens the bell? Yeah, like with, his, with his little flower. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a little, uh, what would normally on a regular jester or Joker be a squirty flower. It squirts acid. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just perfect. So good. It's so funny. And then he goes up to the tower
0: and then the random guy sort of somersaults towards Batman. Didn't we understand that? I I had to look. I was actually cooking at this point and I had it on my iPhone and I turned to look and it was a guy somersaulting towards Batman. It
1: sort of came out of nowhere. Yeah, so these are Joker's henchmen uh, that have somehow made it to the top of the tower before anybody else and (laughs) hidden themselves away so they can jump out and surprise Batman. Um, It's got like... That scene in Indiana Jones where the guy's demonstrating uh, amazing skills with a big sword, and yeah. Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots him. It's yeah. sort of like that, isn't it? Where the guy's doing these incredible somersaults and Batman just uses the gadget in his glove and knocks him out, basically. Yeah, he just um, kind of stops in midair, doesn't he? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's cool. It's funny. It's it's meant to have that. I think it's meant to have that kind of comedic punch. Um, bonus. Uh, facts about Indiana Jones in that scene go on uh, apparently it happened because Harrison Ford was feeling ill that day
0: yes I've heard this apparently <laughs> they had the. Uh, if you follow the Cockney rhyming slang they had the two Bob bits yes <laughs> <laughs> um, then we go to yeah there's a really cool bit which I, I've never realised and I've watched this film a few times uh, over the years Joker says to the statue why are you laughing at her and then starts laughing at it and then that's the statue he gets attached to that then falls off and ends up killing him yes <laughs> like he he kind of mugs the statue off and then that
1: statue's the thing that ends up getting him yeah it's it's really clever writing in a way isn't it it's uh, it's yeah. really subtle but well done. It'd be
0: kind of like having at some sort of grandfather clock or bookcase that you hate and you keep kicking it and then eventually it kick it and it falls on you <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. like it had that it had that kind of comedy um what would you even call it like irony that like comedy irony yeah um anyway yeah Nicholson uh his performance in this film can't be overstated like it's just so good isn't it yeah um I think the Joker, again, I said this earlier, but he's one of those characters that kind of brings out the best and worst in every actor that plays him. Like An actor is able to go completely free reign with that character. But whenever any actor has played him, they always seem to surprise us with what they give. Do you know what I mean? They kind of always... They always go to a dark part of their own psyche. And yeah. when they're on screen like when Nicholson's on screen you almost forget about Batman do you know what I mean you kind of you don't really care you just can't help but look at him and yeah. follow his performance he's
1: so captivating in this film yeah this uh, this definitely is a Joker scene it's not not a Batman scene is it it's no. it's all about the Joker and then yeah they Joker
0: tries to get on the helicopter gets attached to the laughing statue and he falls off and it's kind of like a silly accidental death uh, and then the camera pans down to Joker on the floor, and he's just kind of laughing to himself. But isn't it like it's like a voice box that's broken? Yeah, and it's just going
1: <laughs> over and over again. I thought it was really creepy, really it, good. It, it's brilliant because this is sort of something else that's not like comic book accurate. Because the the Joker's deaths in comics generally are fairly ambiguous because he's right. going to come back, right? Uh, which makes me think again that this was. Built to be a single film, not a series of films, because they they do actually, yeah. you know, it's not not that ambiguous. He's definitely dead, but they have that yeah, little yeah, laugh, yeah. laughing box there just to make it a bit a bit creepy. But yeah, it's mm. it's interesting that you know, like I say, in a, in a lot of the the comic series, um, even the Killing Joke, spoiler for anyone who's not read it, there's a load of controversy over whether Batman actually kills the Joker at the end of that comic. Why oh okay. Not. So That's interesting. the, the uh, I forget exactly how it looks, but in the in the last panels of the comic, uh the Joker tells Batman a joke and they both just start laughing at one another and then the final pain is black and the laughing stops. And it's because, uh, and the pain before that, Batman sort of has his hands on Joker's shoulders just around his neck. Yeah, okay. But it it you don't know whether he's killed him or not. And you never find out. You never find out. So, That's yeah, good. so a lot a lot of the times it's sort of ambiguous. Uh, even in like the the Arkham games when they killed Joker, they yeah. brought him back in Batman's subconscious. So, there there's there's a, you know Joker always finds a way to come back in the comics generally, but in this film he's he's definitely he's dead.
0: That's funny. That's so interesting, isn't it? But yeah um that was that's it that's the film it kind of ends with Vicky Vale getting into the car with Alfred and uh he says something like uh Mr Wayne's going to be a little bit late today and she's like oh of course he is <laughs> <isn't> he's <laughs> yeah. Batman, isn't he? Yeah, he's Batman, isn't he? That's it. Um, but the, the, again, the score at the end is fantastic as well. It really does end on a massive high. It kind of has that, um, I always call it the Star Wars uh, fanfare ending. Do you know when Harrison Ford and, and Mark Hamill are walking down the yeah. aisle to get their medals at the end? And there's no talking in that last scene. It's just pure music all the way through to the fanfare at the end. And it works so well. And I think Batman, I think a lot of the Batman films have done that, where it's just like music, 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 bang. Yeah. End music. <laughs> like fanfare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, the Dark they, they, Knight, it particularly did that really well, I remember. Thinking it kind of ends with such a big bump. Like yeah. Like a big drum. Um, Yeah, so good. And yeah, that was it, James. That's that was it. That's Batman. That's Batman.
1: <laughs> do, you, oh, bloody do, you batman. Want, do you want to uh, continue this role reversal i can give you five facts oh please do i have I written a couple I've... in case you didn't have any so i, I yeah don't no, give me them i want facts I, I've, I've i've peppered obviously the rest of the podcast with little facts as we've gone along but i've kept some back so um oh, okay. this movie was released in the 50th anniversary year of batman
0: oh really christ yeah
1: yeah, so we were talking before the podcast about how long Jake thought Batman had been around, but yeah, so in 1989, it was the 50th anniversary year of Batman.
0: God, so how long Wait. has he been around, like 80 years?
1: Yeah, so uh, been around since, uh, I think it's Action Comics, uh, so yeah, he, he, they, they go back, remember DC and Marvel were around during World War II. That's mad, isn't it? Captain America was uh, World War II propaganda, along with like Superman and so yeah, they've they've been around for a, for a good while. Um, so that was fact one. Fact two: Keaton came up with the line "I'm Batman." Really? So, yeah. What? Yeah. That can't. So, it can't be right, can it? That's yeah. just. The, that's what he says. Yeah. Well, no. In in the script, he says, "I am the knight." Ah,
0: oh, that's good. That's so, a really I'm,
1: good fact. So "I'm Batman" is is much more effective, and obviously. In every film <coughs> since then, every Batman actor has had the I'm Batman moment. Yeah, it's like um, Bond, James Bond, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Again, so, to hark back to, to that. Keaton, Keaton started that. Um, That's amazing. Fun, fun fact. Yeah. Fact three. The designers of the Batmobile hadn't taken into account the additional height required to accommodate the Bat Cowl's ears. When my when Keaton sat down, so and the and the seat had already been lowered to its lowest point. So to get around that, they have a second alternative back cowl that Keaton has with to wear when he's in ears. the back. Yeah, with shorter
0: ears. That's amazing. it's so, like imagine some set designer having to snip the top of the ears off so that they're just like little flat things.
1: Sticking up. I was thinking like, like that, it's ridiculous. I was like, oh, that's such a quaint 1989 problem to have. But yeah. then I remembered in the modern day Flash TV series, uh, Grant Gustin, the guy that plays Flash, has separate cowls. He has one when he's wearing his mask completely. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just like a solid cowl. It doesn't move that easily. He has a second costume that allows him to lift the cowl off the top of his forehead so he can act out taking the cowl off. That's weird. Uh, and it sort of folds back as a hood type thing. So, Couldn't they... Yeah, sorry, go on. So it, it's not just a 1989 problem. Apparently they still have problems making like an all-purpose cowl. It's mad, isn't it? I think could they not have had with with Keaton
0: going back to Keaton? Could they not have had like foam bat ears that would just fold down when he
1: got in, or rubber ones? So, like when you've got a rubber glove, you just like fold it over. I guess they could have done. I I, I am assuming they just didn't want to have like floppy ears <laughs> pressed up against the roof of the Batmobile. Um, yeah. But on the in fact number four on on the bat suit thing, um. Obviously, um, it might not be obvious, I don't know, but uh, the all black and yellow Batsuit was a film creation. Right, what, you mean the logo with the big yellow logo? Uh, the entire thing, because if you look at comics, he's often blue and grey. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's often blue, black and grey. Um, the uh, Tim Burton design was—it it was actually designed by a guy called Bob Ringwood. Um, and that again folded back into the comics for a number of years. Like a lot of comic artists started drawing Batman like the Batman nineteen eighty nine Batman because it was quite cool and radical. It was designed to be a bit more intimidating uh, yeah. than the 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 traditional blue and grey. Because obviously on in blue and grey he had um, like his uh, trunks over the top of leggings, like Superman did.
0: Yeah, if you look at I'm just looking at some of the comic book imagery. So he has the um he has the gloves with I don't even know what you would call them the sort of spikes on them that he yeah. has like, like ninja like ninja gloves. And he has his grey his grey top with a bat logo on it and then like the cowl and the cape are kind of a navy blue color, aren't they? Yeah. Um God, I never even thought about that to be honest. But then yeah, if you look at some of them, you can see the the Keaton-inspired one, which has got a light-up yellow circle with a bat in it, and then you've got like the same symbol on his utility belt as well. Yeah. So that you're saying a lot of that stuff comes from just movie Batman.
1: Yeah, yeah. So most of most of that is movie Batman. The uh, ironically, the Adam West Batman costume is more comic accurate. <laughs> <laughs> than then, uh, then the, this one uh, but this one obviously became comic accurate because the comics borrowed a lot of the, the design cues from it um, and last fact because yep. I thought this was going to be kind of a controversial thing because it always is with, with any sort of Batman related film or mm-hmm. property and that's this one rule that Batman has about not killing yeah, Batman kills a lot of people in this film. <laughs> so yeah. a lot, of, a lot of people criticised uh, Batfleck for killing people. Batman in this film drops an entire chemical factory on all of Joker's minions. <laughs> you know, he, he, when he yeah sends sends the Batmobile in to blow it up. So Batman <coughs> does kill a lot of people in this film, and he's got yeah, you know, he throws people off uh, the clock tower and things like that. So yeah, he you know, does yeah that. Uh, there's a lot of like die hard Batman fans that really hit home with this when uh when Batfleck was you know shooting all all the bad guys in uh in the newer films but it's it's happened ever since the batman nineteen eighty nine so it's not for for cinema Batman it's nothing new it's been going isn't on isn't that a funny while. I can't um, remember Batfleck ever killing anybody obviously we'll
0: watch that one like that will be the one of the last ones we watched before. We delve into the new era of Batman at the end of this at the end of this season, but um I don't know, I didn't remember
1: the Batfleck killing people. He brands people. I remember him branding somebody. He he, he brands people, but if you like think about a lot of the uh action he sequences where he's in the Batmobile, all of his weapons are like bullet weapons, he shoots guns, right. you know, yeah. he, he he he's got less compunction about killing people. Uh whereas like the uh, in the comics, some of the darker comics are written by a guy called Frank Miller. I mentioned him earlier, and he did the uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. And even in that film, Batman takes out a like a juggernaut Batmobile type deal. It's like a tank Batmobile. Uh, yeah. it, it's kind of where the um, the Batmobile from the uh, the Dark Knight film is inspired by uh, from because it's this giant uh, sort of tank like thing, but it shoots rubber bullets. Oh, so, okay. so he he goes out to subdue rather than kill. Uh, whereas in some of the films, it's, it's it's more actiony, Hollywoody. Let's kill these people because they're bad people. Uh, so yeah. I think that's why, like in, in the films, it, it happens more often than in the comics. Because uh, yeah. the comics are perfectly dark and they're perfectly capable of showing Joker killing folk, but they do tend to prevent Batman from killing folk usually.
0: That's it, and I like that.
1: Um, I, f- I found a little bit more of the Williams fact that I
0: was talking about earlier. Um, oh, yeah. When John William, uh, Sorry, when Robin Williams was used as bait to get um, Nicholson into the production, um, he was obviously really upset with it. Um, he resented being used by the production company... He then later refused to play Riddler when he was asked to do so uh, for uh, Batman Forever in 1995, and he also refused to be involved in any Warner Brothers production until the studio would formally apologize to him. Nice.
1: That's mad, isn't it? I never he, knew this. He, he was a man of principle, though, because he did a similar thing to Disney over Genie. Yeah, no, yeah. He he said to Disney he wouldn't be part. You know, he wouldn't play Genie if he was used to advertise for things. And then they did, uh, and then he refused to play Genie until they apologized. So, I, you know, good old Robin Williams and his good old principles. Robin Williams. You know, I he, love Robin Williams. Um, I, I've just remembered a, a, a tangential fact though about casting in the film. Uh, Ray Liotta was offered a, a bunch of the roles, <laughs> turned them all down. He was like, Bruce, like what? <laughs> Bruce Wayne, Joker. He was offered the lot bloody hell. He, he was almost given his pick uh, I think he he was busy filming at the time uh, and couldn't do it uh, and later he's been reported to say that he really regrets not taking any of those chances. <sighs> That's but, crazy yeah. yeah.
0: I have one last fact for us to talk about before we end tonight's episode. Um, Sweet uh, I was kind of fascinated James by the fact that Joker has a white face with the makeup and the lips and the, the thing but he isn't painted, it's his skin has changed color because of the chemical plant, right? Yeah, and in the film, he puts on foundation to look more like a normal skin tone when he's like in public, doesn't he? Do you remember what you're yeah. when he goes to the museum and such? Um, so in the film, this is the fact the Joker has to wear. Uh, has a mask of his chalk white face paint painted himself uh, and paints himself flesh coloured. In the script, it was specified that Joker would have to take the flesh coloured makeup off to reveal his white skin underneath, meaning that the makeup teams would have to find a way to take one layer of makeup off without another one going off as well. The designer, Nick Dudman, came up with a solution. They painted Jack Nicholson's face with a white Pax paint that they always used and then put a thin layer of food-grade silicon oil over the top, which nothing sticks to. On top of that, they then took flesh-coloured grease paint and painstakingly painted it where it was uh, where it was literally sitting on top of the oils. They then airbrushed it and faded it in to make it look more natural. After soaking in the Joker's handkerchief in Isopro, um, alcohol gel and alcohol wipes, yes. Uh, Nicholson was able to wipe off the grease paint to reveal the white face paint underneath without taking the white packs paint off as well. It's brilliant
1: I mean it's how bonkers is that the amount of thought that's gone into that, and you don't even when you're watching it, most people wouldn't even think, "Oh, how do they do that? They just take it for granted that he's yeah, taking off totally uh, and I would have assumed the white face paint would have um
0: would have been added to a cloth and put on his skin instead of the other way around.
1: It all seems very bizarre. Yeah, it's like they could have, I guess, if they planned it, they could have done it in reverse, couldn't they, and reverse the film. But yeah, the way they did it was ingenious.
0: Very clever. But yeah, that's all I've got, James. I think that's probably enough for tonight, and uh, we'll be doing a lot more Batman as we go through Batman Returns next week. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I loved this. I thought it was great. And I really like this franchise because I think it's a really good educational thing for me to find out
1: more about this character. Yeah, well, I, I've i liked it too because, it, it, like I say, the Harry Potter thing worked really well because I knew next to nothing. But this is really cool because you get to, get to you know, pull for my, my knowledge. And uh, it, I don't know everything about the comic book lore, but it's something that I really enjoy. So it's good fun to, to go into it in a bit more detail.
0: Yeah, and we'll probably take this all the way to the new Zack Schneider Justice League because I want to watch that when it comes out, and I know it's four hours long. So I think doing the Batman franchise all the way up to Justice League would be quite good because we've now done Superman as well, haven't we? Yeah, we're so, working our way through the, the men. If we do Superman and Batman, who are the two main DC icons, yeah. to meet at Batman versus Superman and then Justice League, I feel like I'd, I'd have a full education, a full curriculum absolutely that's great no i'm looking forward right cheers james and thanks for listening guys as always follow us on itunes and on instagram at do the franchise on twitter as well uh you can get in touch with the show on there and you can leave us a comment you can send us things which we will look at and ridicule on the show uh (laughs) And you can give us, send us a message on Twitter. I'll usually get back in touch with you within a day or two. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, a new start, James. I'm loving yeah. this. New start, this new great. year. I'm a nearly out of lockdown, so it's even better. All good news. All good news. Right. See you later, James. See you, Jake. Bye. Bye. Bye.